every drop of blood feels the freezing paralysis of fear, almost stopping your heart, as Edgar Allan Poe unfolds his tales of terror. You will meet the master of the mansion, who loved and protected his wife with the strength of a supernatural love, even beyond life itself. I am in command here. You will do as I say. I shall take what I desire. Your body and your soul, if I demand it. I am never... Help! Help! Then you'll enjoy the Black Cat's sardonically humorous tale. It all started at the Vintners' convention, where the lover of wine met the professional wine taster and introduced him to his wife, a darling who delighted in dalliance. What kind of a man are you anyway? Make love to my wife and doesn't even talk to me. You're insane. That may be, but very clever. Help! Help! In this monstrous mausoleum of the living, you will witness fury far worse than a woman scorned. The fury of a dead woman's jealousy. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Semi-Cinematic Podcast, where we take a look at films of the highest and lowest caliber. My name is Hunter. My name is John. My name is Max. All right, and each week we'll review a first-time watch and a rewatch as well. The, the selections will be related or, or unrelated, but since we're releasing our first episodes in October, this month we'll just be talking about horror movies. And each week we'll talk about movies that we've watched recently, and we may even do occasional bonus episodes. I know I, I would like to do commentaries at some point or maybe episodes just based on a topic instead of reviewing movies. And, and each week we'll also rotate who selects the movies that we'll be discussing. And, uh, and for me, I'm a cult like genre movie enthusiast. I love horror movies, Italian horror movies, kung fu, action. And uh, my favorite filmmakers, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty standard, but I love Tarantino, Scorsese, Lynch, Fulci, John Carpenter. I think, I think that's all people need to know about me. I feel like <laughs> saying, saying what we like, that, that way people can choose who they dislike early on and choose mm. who they align their, themselves with as well. Yeah, I think we're different enough in our selections that people are going to lean one way or another every three weeks. So... <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. way they lean i don't know if, if that's the pressure of uh making good picks um especially considering we're doing ones that we haven't seen you just kind of have to get lucky sometimes you know yeah but there's also some fun in picking something terrible and you all suffering through it together yes that's true mm-hmm. uh my what i usually watch or tend to i mean for some reason anything from the early 80s interests me um i really like this movement french film movement it's pretty much it's like style over substance um there's like seven to ten movies from that uh luc besson um leo leos carex and uh jean jacques beniex 
um, that, that and then any early 80s slasher I'm into um, there's something about that time period that gets me um, other than that I'm huge on Hitchcock I love a really well-crafted thriller um, suspense um, I love the technical scale of Stanley Kubrick but who doesn't um, I really I enjoy Wes Anderson um, I like his sense of humor French New Wave really got me more into film than just like a casual fan. Uh, I love Tarantino too. Um, really, I really like Greta Gerwig and what she's doing. I want to see a lot more from her. Um, I just want to see more women filmmakers out there. Uh, that's you know that's pretty much what I'm into. I'm very open-minded, but I do you know take my time when picking things to watch on my own in my own time. Max. Yeah. For me, uh, I probably more of the everyman um, was definitely more of a casual kind of film viewer, film watcher um, until a few years ago. And then kind of, you know, getting more into you know, specific directors, specific genres, things like that. Um, and so definitely more um, current modern releases. And, you know, as time has gone on, you know, identifying both um, favorite, favorite directors, probably, you know, Damien Chazelle would be one. Um, you know, everything that he puts out, uh, Denis Villeneuve um, would be another one where, you know, again, more recent releases, but um, have enjoyed kind of you know, throughout the years now getting you know, kind of diving back into older movies, um, you know, seeing you know, with Damien Chazelle, seeing the influence that, you know, Jacques Demi um, had on his films uh, is definitely interesting to me. And so that's kind of my approach to it is is you know seeing newer movies and then seeing the you know the older kind of classics or or genres that had influences on those movies. And and Max, w- would you say that you have a, a gross obsession with Barbara Stanwyck? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I'm I'm a Stan fan, unashamed. I'm also a Stan fan, but not to the same level. I, I thought I was at a no high one level, is. But- it's not even close. <laughs> no one is. It's uh, it's it's. It, but you know, it makes you unique. I uh, I appreciate it about you. Thank you. Yeah. No. It's it's good to have it on the letterbox every year. It might be good for her that she is uh, not in her prime now. She might have a stalker on her hands. <laughs> that is true. That is uh, Jenny. I tell Jenny all the time. She's nothing. She has nothing to worry about. So, but. But at different time, <laughs> you never know. You never know. The famous one. <laughs> All right, and next, I think we should talk about what we've been watching recently. Do you, uh, John? Do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, kind of a light week this week. I've had a lot going on. Unfortunately, it is not my style. I'm much more into reading books outside and watching movies at my leisure and not having a lot of work to do. But uh, I did watch a few. I watched. A Mel Brooks film called Silent Movie, which is actually a silent movie from 1976. There's only one line of dialogue by someone you might not expect to give that line. It was, I laughed a lot. There's, you know, something about um, older comedies. There's going to be some stuff that's a little cringy, but I did smile and laugh a lot. And that's kind of all you can ask for in a comedy um it's mel brooks and uh marty feldman who is just i love him anything he anything he does on screen i'm 
I'm looking at him. And Dom DeLuise are the main. But there's some really good cameos as well. It was fun. And I'd never seen it before. Um, I also watched Argo, 2012, Best Picture winner. Uh, I enjoyed it. I was I was kind of, eh, you know, Ben Affleck. I wasn't like super. I was kind of like it was. This is pretty good, but I'm not really amazed by it. But then the last half hour, there's a lot of tension built, and I think they do it really well. And even if you kind of already know the outcome of the situation, it's still built the tension, which I respect. You know, knowing what's going to happen, but still feeling stressed in the moment. Uh, I appreciate that. And lastly, I uh, watched Sabrina for the first time, 1964. Billy Wilder with Humphrey Bogart, uh, Audrey Hepburn, and William Holden with blonde hair. <laughs> uh, really good. Uh, Billy Wilder, his stuff is just so, I don't know, it's like a cozy watch for me. I, I just think his his writing is so good. Um, Audrey Hepburn is really charming in this, and... It's a later Bogart, but I've always, I always love Humphrey Bogart. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's has like a easy, whimsical quality without being too sappy. Um, and I, I just, I'm, I love Billy Wilder films. There's a lot I haven't seen, I guess, that are less regarded, but I kind of want to keep delving in because I've enjoyed pretty much everything from him that I've watched. Uh, yeah, that's what I watched this week. Nice. Yeah, I I love Billy Wilder. He's he's amazing. And and Max, what what about you? Uh yeah, also, I mean, I guess it's only Wednesday. Um, but a lighter week. Um did go and, and brave the the theaters again. Um went and saw the the card counter, which was my first uh Schrader movie that I've seen. Um it was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, definitely a little bit of a bait and switch with the trailer. Um had more of like a crime thriller vibe, uh, which it was definitely not. Um, more kind of the <laughs> horrors of war, which was unexpected. Um, but I, again, I enjoyed it and, and it was a fun watch. And again, just kind of nice to be back in the theater. And then um, semi-unexpected, had a bit of a union uh, back-to-back watch. I watched uh, On the Waterfront, um, 1954, famous Marlon Brando performance. And then um, Criterion Channel has got a big uh, New York selection right now. And so there was a, a movie on there, The the, the Garment Jungle, uh, 1957. And um, also both, both starring Lee J. Cobb, unexpectedly. So he'll be having a bump up there. But um, liked both of them. I mean, again, there's just uh, something interesting about you know these stories. And um, I think the... For the, the casual viewer, there, you know, sometimes like movies that are older, there's kind of a, 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 stig, um, a stigma or something about them not being as good or as entertaining. But um, really enjoy I enjoyed both these stories um, in terms of um, again the performances, but also just the content of the the human interest side of things. So um, all in all, pretty solid. Nice, nice. Yeah, and I've watched a, a few things. I watched. Um... Jackie Chan's directorial debut, Fearless Hyena, which I'm not a big fan of his more kind of adventure movies like uh, Project A or Operation Condor, but I love his early Kung Fu movies. 
the fight choreography and the uh, just the action scenes in general were awesome in Fearless Hyena. They were really brutal, which I feel like you don't get with Jackie Chan movies a lot, but uh, it's on the Criterion channel, and it, it looks amazing. And uh, definitely worth checking out if you're a fan of kung fu movies. And then I also watched a movie that's kind of related to uh, one of the movies that I am that we're going to be reviewing later. And I, I watched uh, Tales of Terror. It stars Vincent Price and Peter Lorre. And it's written by Richard Matheson. And um, he wrote a movie that we'll be talking about in a little bit. Um, and it's directed by Jacques Turner, who did Cat People, I Walked with a Zombie, and Curse of the Demon. But yeah, it's a, it's a straight-up comedy, and it, it starts off hilarious, but it, it loses steam pretty quickly. Uh, Price and Laurie, they, they run a funeral home, and the opening scene, it takes place during a funeral. And friends and family of the, uh, are you know, standing around you know, mourning, obviously. And Price and Laurie are standing off to the side. And after everyone leaves... Price and Lori tip the casket over and the corpse just falls into the plot. And you find out that they uh, they reuse the same casket over and over again for each funeral. Oh, no. and, I, and I thought that was hilarious. Mm. <laughs> but um, and there's some funny dialogue in the movie, but it just didn't hold my interest throughout. But it, it is streaming on Paramount Plus and it's uh, it, it's worth watching, but it's not it's not amazing. Those eighty-minute run times, though, those are those are hard to beat. Oh yeah, yeah. Runtime, probably. I would think seventy-five percent of what I select is based off of runtime. Mm-hmm. Runtime is amazing. Ninety minutes is such a breeze. When there was one time, a friend of mine recommended a film to me. It was Romanian, and it was three and a half hours. Ooh, that's tough. <laughs> if that doesn't tell you enough, right there. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, I mean, I, I feel like it's a little bit sacrilegious to watch stuff in segments. It's not intended to be watched that way, but sometimes oh, I just have to. You know, if I feel like if I don't, I just can't, I can't stay focused on what is going on. But it's a tough it one. It wasn't hard to be a god, was it? No, no. Is that Romanian? I can't remember. I don't know. Uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. This is something that a mutual friend of ours gave five stars, who is a very tough critic, and uh, it wasn't bad. It's was, it's just I don't know. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you just don't know. There's probably cultural references you're not getting in the translation, and I don't know. That's just it's, it was an older movie too. It's, I feel like if you don't have awareness of that time period in that country, sometimes you can get a little lost. And then it's it's harder to be lost for 210 minutes than 84 minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to get into our first review. Both of these movies are anthology horror movies. And the first one we're going to talk about is Roger Corman's Tales of Terror. And it was released by AIP, which is American International Pictures. And Roger Corman, he made a ton of movies with AIP. And he made um, eight movies that are... Uh, Edgar Allan Poe adaptations and all of them were produced by uh, by AIP and and for this one the Poe stories were adapted by Richard Matheson and he's a pretty well-known author he wrote I Am Legend and he also wrote a a lot of screenplays and his book I Am Legend was actually adapted um, into a movie called The Last Man on Earth which which starred Vincent Price but he wrote several other of the Corman Poe movies including House of Usher, The Pit and the Pendulum and also The Raven 
and some of his other well-known movies. He wrote Steven Spielberg's Duel. Uh, he wrote The Night Stalker, which I think is one of the greatest TV movies ever made. And he also wrote an amazing supernatural horror movie called The Legend of Hell House. And um, the Corman Post Cycle is, is pretty highly regarded by horror movie fans. And they also had other notable screenwriters like Charles Beaumont, who wrote a lot of episodes of The Twilight Zone. And Robert Town, he wrote uh, one of the Poe adaptations as well. And he went on to write Chinatown. This movie was shot by Floyd Crosby, and he's an Oscar-winning DP. And I think it looks amazing, especially the first story. Morella, I think, looks awesome. Um, it, does, he, it, yeah, it does look really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he and he shot House of Usher, Pit in the Pendulum, The Premature Burial, The Raven, and The Haunted Palace. Um, so they were definitely uh, Corman, Matheson, Crosby, and Price are like the the greatest team for adapting Poe movies. All right, so let's go ahead and start talk about the first story, which is Morella, which is to me this is easily my favorite of the uh, of the three stories in the anthology. What, what did you guys think of it? All right, so I have I took some notes while watching this, of course, and uh, first note is, uh, you know, when Lenora arrives at the house, she's wearing an ermine coat, which I've only really seen worn by royalty on playing cards, <laughs> but <laughs> apparently, you know, she was wearing it, and I, you know, I enjoyed that uh, little, you know, I just you just don't see these things. I don't I don't know exactly what date these are set in. Maybe early 1800s? That's what I think, but I'm not positive either. Yeah. Um, One thing about movies like this where it's a huge, you know, kind of abandoned house, spiders are just running rampant. There are Mm -hmm. spider webs everywhere. Mm -hmm. There is not a corner of a room that is not invaded by spider webs. Uh, One other thought I had was whether or not if this was in theaters the sale of twizzlers might have been heightened because those candles are very twizzler like it's the most subtle product placement i've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i really enjoyed the score in this it just has this spooky creepy um just like subtle vibe to it almost like a ghostly sound to it um there's a certain tone when there's a a folk when they show the painting of morella um just throughout it gives you a really good vibe it gets you really kind of in that mindset of what's going on and just uh, the dread throughout the house um something else I, i really liked there's a shot sort of in the middle of the story where the ghost of morella is going to take possession of lenora and I love the way that shot. I think it looks really cool, especially for the time period. Um, yeah, it looks amazing. And I and I kind of think I could see that kind of imagery being an influence on Japanese horror like Ringu. How the ghost is just all black and it's all black hair. It it, it kind of reminded me of the uh, like like the I can't remember the name of the what's the name of the girl in, in Ringu? Like what's the name of that character? Do you remember? I'm kind of afraid to say her name. I, I don't want a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Always there. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Max, what did you think? I don't know. Oh, wait. Uh, I have more. Yeah. Oh, gosh. John, what, what, what are you still thinking? Just a little more. Um, overall, I feel like these female characters are a little bit flat, but 
Lenora was a really good screamer. If it was actually her and not someone else, you know, screaming ADR, but really, really good. I think that, you know, really convincing. Um, I also had a note that this is the darkest possible version of a Freaky Friday scenario. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm not sure if this is the case, but it felt like the fire, uh, spoiler, the fire scene at the close, I feel like they borrowed some shots from House of Usher, which would make sense with all the same people involved. It was yeah, very they did. Similar. Okay. Yeah, I had they that feeling. Borrow shots. Yeah, and that's something that like Corman is kind of notorious for is like if if they have a big set that they're burning down, he's gonna use it for as many movies as possible. <laughs> Milk it, yeah. Yeah. You uh, have what? to. Nineteen sixties. Why is um Morella trying to kill Locke at the end? Is that explained? I I didn't think it was. It, um I didn't really understand why she was trying to kill him either. Her crazy eyes during the strangling, though, fantastic. Mm. She looks, you know, she's into it. <laughs> she's very brief appearance in the film, but uh, I enjoyed. She went for it. You know, mm-hmm. gotta respect that. That's all I've got on this segment. I no, I, I'm trying to think too of going into you know obviously what I thought about it, but yeah, they're just like the thing about obviously she wanted to go to the party, and then he said no. I don't know. So it was pretty vague, but it was effective. And um, yeah, overall, uh, it was not my favorite of the stories. Um, it was it was a, a high number two. Um, but no, I, I I was the reveal of Morella. Um, those were those effects were pretty solid. It was a pretty creepy reveal. Um, and then I had the uh, opposite reaction, and this might have been influenced by watching it with my wife. Um, where to your point, John, about um, kind of older movie uh, women screamers, she made a comment of, you know, is this all that they do is just scream? Uh, <laughs> which yeah. is not true, but uh, it, it was interesting kind of after hearing that of like, well, she's doing a lot of screaming, but I no, I liked it um, again. I think again, it looks it looks great. Um, yeah, you know, seeing the ghost, you know, it, that's always like kind of the analyst in me is like, how'd they do that, um, in 1962? And that's, you know, so it kind of sparks that interest in me. Like, okay, I want to go find out how, how they do this effect, how they capture this. Um, but overall, uh, it, it is fun to watch Vincent Price. Um, I think again, you know, just his, his range from, you know, more dramatic films to then, you know, this kind of era of kind of the, the godfather of horror. Um, it, it's interesting to kind of see those go on. So no, I, I like this first one a lot. Nice. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's my favorite. Yeah. It just has great, great imagery and yeah. And John, I agree. This, the score for this segment is, is really cool. And it definitely has a, like a Mario Bava vibe. And I know uh, Roger Corman had said that, he saw Black uh, Black Sunday in theaters, and he he was a Mario Bava fan. But this did come out before Bava had made any color movies. But um, I, I did feel like this segment especially has kind of a Mario Bava vibe. Yeah, I, I I saw that too. I felt that very similar vibe. I guess you know similar time period, similar subject matter. Mm-hmm. That that whole big house, old house feel to it, like or like a period period piece. Or, or the great house. All right. Um, 
Yeah, do you all have anything else to say about Morella? That's it for me. I do agree with Max. I forgot to say that. Like, I do love the initial reveal. Um, in a way, it's kind of subtle, the way it's revealed. It's not like overly gory or graphic it's just but it is creepy it just it looks really good i I liked how they did that that was um smartly presented i I enjoyed that yeah some of the makeup effects actually throughout this too just look really cool especially in the third uh the final segment Mm -hmm. there's some really impressive makeup on with vincent price's character yes yes absolutely especially like the yeah yeah that's really I appreciated it. They did a good job there. And, you know, sometimes sometimes things are hit or miss in this era as far as makeup or it can take you out of the experience if it just looks ridiculous. But it did not hear at all. So the second story is based on the black hat and the cask of Amontillado. And this one, the tonal shift from Morella to this was really jarring for mm-hmm. me. The the. uh the score is 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 very goofy. I mean, it is it, it could be in an Abbott and Costello movie. The zoom ins uh, were what got me, and every little cut. Yes. I, I do think that uh, Peter Lorre, like his performance, really grew on me. And Vincent Price. I mean, we'll get to the like the wine uh, <laughs> tasting scene. That scene is hysterically funny. I mean, I thought that was amazing, but. Um, yeah, the tonal shift, it was just really jarring, and I had a hard time, I don't know, I had a hard time staying interested in this one, but w- what did y'all think of it? This is probably my favorite of the three. Uh, I was I was also jarred, though. I did not expect to be, like, so amused by one, like, a Tales of Terror <laughs> film, <laughs> but... Um, Peter Lorre grew on me as well. At, at first, I was kind of a little standoffish towards him, but he got more and more entertaining. And uh, that, like you said, that wine tasting scene is just something else. Uh, <laughs> Montresor, Peter Lorre's character, not the uh, not the best drunk. He did have some good lines, though. Uh, Why don't you watch where I'm going? That's, that's what I wrote down. And uh, you have more nest eggs than a chicken. It's an interesting writing there. And when he, when he accidentally finds like like finds the money at the towards the end and shouts Eureka, <laughs> that was amazing. I, I loved that. There's something about someone who you don't trust their judgment insisting on something and you think that they're mistaken and then it proves that they're right. They're proved they're proved right all along. It's interesting mm-hmm. to me. I, I like that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I actually really enjoyed the freeze frame zoom transitions uh, from act to act. Um, weirdly, in the in the first in the in the uh, Morella, they did just like fade to black, almost like commercial TV breaks. This this zoom uh, freeze frame, it was weird, but I don't know something about it was just very appealing to me. Um, definitely weird though; I didn't expect it. Uh, something. I've seen this in one other film, someone who cannot handle alcohol, seeing creatures, hallucinating creatures. Is that really a thing that people experience? It was also in Le Circle Rouge. Uh, there's a sharpshooter in that who's an alcoholic and he's in his room by himself and he, he's seeing insects and a snake, I think. 
something to something to something to research. Yes, not directly. We, none of us should become an alcoholic and try to re- recreate this. But maybe you know, talk to some people. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> Consult Google. Online. You know. It, yeah, it's all. It's it seems. I mean, that would be. That just seems very. That's a deterrent to drinking, if anything is. Mm. Um, oh, another good line he had was uh, Peter Laurie had was I drink my food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, there is uh, one point where Peter Laurie. Uh, slash Montresor, he pushes the barman back into the bar after getting kicked out. The barman goes flying like 30 feet and crashes into some people and uh, barrels. It just seemed like, does he really have that much strength? That was an interesting choice there. Oh, I believe Lori has that much strength. Look at the guy. <laughs> okay, we can't wait any longer. Vincent Price is so good in this. He's so funny as Fortunato. His mm-hmm. facial expressions just his eyes his all the gesticulations of the wine tasting um his personality it's just i didn't even know he had quite this range to him it's just so comical he's he's so invested i really really it made the whole it's my favorite part of the whole film in general to me just the way he portrayed this character uh yeah, he was hilarious. I mean, I, I, I loved him in it. I, I do think the next time I watch Tales of Terror, I think I'm going to like it way more on a rewatch, actually. Because um, I really, after loving Morella, I was hoping that the same tone would be kind of throughout the movie. But now that I know that it changes, I think that I'll appreciate it more. Mm. Yeah, just more aware of it. No, it was good. Mm. I mean, again, I think I, I think I'm in agreement with the both of you guys of just like yeah, like that that shift in tone, and then um, John, like you were saying too, like I mean, it, yeah, thinking about it, like I don't really know many like comedic performances um, of Vincent Price because anything I've, I've seen before has been dramatic. Um, you know, I think I guess like Leave Her to Heaven or something like that, where you know he's kind of the the stern um, do-gooder or you know righteous character but this was just yeah just to kind of see him ham it up um you know match peter laurie's uh drunk kind of humor character um you know was, was definitely entertaining and yeah. i guess I'll just, I'll just jump into like, i guess what i thought um this was my favorite story um again um took a second to kind of get into it of like where is this going i mean again the the, the change in tone the the performances um but then again you know the kind of the get yeah, like i think john what you're referencing like that twist where you know peter laurie um again spoiler alert uh <laughs> recognizes realizes that um fortunato and his um and montresor's wife are having an affair um and that realization too of you know he's loving life and he's like oh ever since however many days ago my wife's just been saying yeah go to the bar and here I am, you know, I'm just it up. and then the barman kind of like, you know, implies, do you understand why you're at the bar? <laughs> uh, and that, you know, that sinks in and you, the, the zoom in happens. And I, you know, and then, you know, then you kind of have a second shift in tone where, you know, it goes from being comedic to obviously he's, you know, holding up uh, these two characters in, in his basement wall. Um but no, I, 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 that all played into kind of my overall enjoyment of the, of the second story. Yeah, and the ending, 
I, I wasn't crazy about his hallucinations during the ending. Um, like when Vincent Price and the character that plays Laurie's wife, when they're you know, throwing Peter Laurie's head around. That mm. was wild. I did not expect that. <laughs> I wasn't crazy about that, but early in the movie, they established that Laurie hates the cat that his wife has. Mm-hmm. And um, the way he kills uh, Price and and uh, and the um, and his wife is he kind of like buries them alive, but in a wall. He like builds a brick wall in front of them. At the end, he knocks on the wall when the cops come to investigate, and when the cat meows, I, I thought that that was a, an awesome ending. Like it's <laughs> a great way to uh, to reveal to the cops that there's something in the wall. It is Absolutely. one of the flimsiest walls, I have to say. <laughs> you just beat it down with a wood stick. With a perfectly round hole that goes through as well. Like when they poke through and break through, it's perfectly round the uh, first breakthrough. <laughs> really magic. That cat actually did a nice job. That, that cat was uh, pretty comfortable on screen. Not like looking off to the side at some handler. Pretty solid. Didn't like seeing it get thrown in the air. That was like, the actual cat. It wasn't a uh, stuffed animal. But I'm sure it was Oh, fine. yeah. <laughs> yeah, animals didn't have it too good in the in in low budget horror movies. No, especially okay. in Italy. I mean, or any western episode. Yeah, yeah, westerns, and then any 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 movie made uh, produced by Italy in the seventies and eighties. It was a terrible time to be an animal, uh, an act, an animal actor. <laughs> short short lifespans. Grim, very grim. Yes. All right. Well, I think that's all I've got for for that one. Did you did you guys have anything else? That was it for me. Can you really tell the year of a vintage? I guess you can. I saw in the credits they did consult an actual like consultant on wine tasting and how that's done and to the to the depth that it's done. So it's just interesting to me that they can determine, you know, eighteen twenty six Bordeaux. I guess that also gives us a time period for when these this this one was set. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe mid eighteen. 30s 40s or something but yeah enough for that to be a vintage yeah i do want to rewatch this movie because i I do i think i'll enjoy this segment more on a rewatch yeah it makes sense you get you get built up for one thing and you get something else and whether it's good or not it can sometimes be hard to just get yourself into that mindset that quickly right all right well moving on uh, the third story is based off of the poe tale the facts in the case of m valdemore and um, what did you guys think of, of this one? I loved the opening, almost like painting to Vincent Price's actual face, that transition. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really well done. There's some really beautiful just moments uh, throughout this film, just like kind of playing off how well it's shot. Like, I love that, that introduction. Um, I don't even know if we've mentioned this at the very beginning of the film, I love the beating heart with the narration by Vincent Price to even open everything up. I really enjoyed that. It looked really good. Yeah, that was very cool. Just a great cold opening. Interestingly enough, in this one, you know, Carmichael, the, uh, what would you call him? He's like a, like a, like a hypnotist healer in a way. Um, yeah. His experiment that he has, I was kind of on his side in the beginning uh it's just an interesting thing like what happens after you die like if you're still conscious what are you seeing what are you experiencing but obviously he takes it 
a thousand times too far. Yeah. But in the very beginning, like he, the, the first 10 seconds of this, you know, after what happens happens and he's still under Carmichael's control. I was like, I want to know what's going on. I understand the interest. You know, I understand the fascination with, you know, I want to record, make these recordings, but then, you know, doesn't let go. Um, so, you know, and anyone who played Sherlock Holmes is going to be naturally curious. You know? <laughs> <laughs> sure. True. Uh, another female character who's pretty one note, probably this one's probably the least interesting of all three. And I'm sure it's not her fault. They just weren't written with much depth. You know, it's just kind of just like shock of the situation and passing out. That's pretty much yeah. her higher role. And it's not even really much screaming. I think there's maybe one solid scream in there. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, Hunter, the effects on Vincent Price at the end of this, uh, when he comes back, really enjoyed them. I, it's that, that sludge. <laughs> yeah, he was just doing this walking corpse, and it was it 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 looked amazing. And I, and they did add like a blur effect, I guess, to make it look less gruesome. But um, but yeah, I, I thought the makeup was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, that was you know you expect one thing because you see he just has this white face, but then it just starts transforming. That was really really cool way to finish it. It's probably my least favorite of the three, but not where I didn't like it, just I found the other two a little more entertaining. Yeah, it's my least favorite um, of the three as well. And I think I don't like the buildup. I almost wish that it had started um, with Vincent Price on his deathbed, like saying, saying, you know, goodbye to his wife and, and saying that he, you know, wishes for his wife to marry the doctor. Like, I wish it had kind of just started there. Because mm. the build-up just wasn't very interesting to me. Yeah, cut out the whole, oh, he's fine again. Or not fine, but then just quickly transition to, now, now he's dying. I guess in a way they're trying to, to give us his motivations for doing this. But yeah, I, I feel like it's a little bit superfluous too. I don't think we need it. At least maybe maybe cut it down somewhat. It seems like it goes a little too long and it's not really going anywhere. It's kind of something you'd see to try and get a runtime to a certain point, but they had enough as it was. I, I can, yeah, I can think it'd be better, a little bit tighter. Yeah. And what did you think of it, Max? Yeah. In agreement, you know, I, I, the beginning, um, was, uh, well, to John's point, um, yeah, the use of the color, um, from that lantern, uh, whatever it is that, um, Carmichael spinning, um, was definitely really kind of interesting to see. And, and again, I mean, again, it's just something that like, uh, the use of color, the use of, uh, um, effects uh, are just things that I think are are kind of we miss today, um, but, you know. So that's that was just kind of fun to watch, and you know, again, a, a decent uh, Vincent Price uh, performance, and I, I would agree it's the weakest of the three for me. But it's also kind of like your least favorite flavor of pizza, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> you still have pizza, just not this topping. Um, so. You know, like I said, I enjoyed it. Um, I think again, the just kind of the bouncing around. Yeah, John, to your point of the female character, I think that was Helene. Um, you know, like okay, you're gonna marry this person, and then nope, I want to marry you, and that's kind of her sole purpose is just to kind of be passed around or who's gonna yeah. end up marrying. 
um, this this uh, widow. Um, it, it is what it is. But um, yeah, I, I I like that about. I liked a lot. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got for the uh, gosh for this entire movie. Uh, is do, there anything else you want to say? Any general thoughts on the the movie? Should we do star ratings? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, gotta do stars. Yeah, what would you give it, Max? I'll go. Um, I ended up giving it a three. Um, you know, again, uh, not amazing, um, but just a fun watch and and just uh, enjoyed it. So that's firm th- three territory for me. All right, and John, I went three and a half. Um, I feel like my experience is pretty similar to Max's, but a three and a half for me is something solid that I enjoyed a three. I almost, it's almost either, you know, entertaining enough watchable, but not well done or just something, there's something wrong with it. I don't necessarily think there was anything wrong with this. So I'm going to go three and a half for the first two segments. I was creeping maybe 3.75 or four, but the last one I lost a little bit for me, but yeah, solid three and a half. I really enjoyed it. Um, Maybe more than I thought I would. I do love Vincent Price, but sometimes these types of films almost feel too, like, obviously in a studio to me, but this didn't really feel that way. Uh, mm. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Three and a half for me. Yeah, and I gave it a three and a half as well. I would definitely rewatch this. Um, I'll probably buy it. I think the, the Blu-ray has a commentary by Tim Lucas, and I, his commentaries are, are amazing to me. So it's one I'll probably buy at some point. This is a an Amicus production, and it's uh, Tales from the Crypt. And Amicus is kind of like AIP. They were kind of a low-budget uh, production company, but they, they, they did a lot of horror movies, and they did some sci-fi and fantasy movies as well. 
But seven out of the 28 movies they produced were anthology horror movies, and it's definitely like something that they're known for now as their anthologies. Um, this is their fourth anthology movie, and it was the third directed by Freddie Francis. And Freddie Francis is more well-known as a cinematographer. <clears throat> he shot uh, Jack Clayton's The Innocence, which The Innocence to me is one of the best-looking horror movies ever made. And he also worked with David Lynch three times. He shot Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear remake. And uh, he won an Oscar. I, I'm pretty sure he won an Oscar for uh, for The Innocence, but he won two Oscars and he's been nominated for four BAFTAs for Best Cinematography as well. And this was written by the Amicus co-founder, Milton Sabatsky, I believe is how you say it. And all these stories were adapted from 50s horror comic books. The first one, uh, I guess, well... Well, I guess, well, there is, there's actually a wraparound that we should probably set up where five strangers, they, uh, they're lost in a crypt. And then they, after they meet the, the crypt keeper, they receive visions of how they'll die. Um, yeah. And then the first story is called It All Through the House. And it, this is from issue 35 of The Vault of Horror, which is also, which is a title of another amicus uh, anthology horror movie. Um, but what did you guys think of the, uh, of this first segment? Um, okay, so I had actually seen the, I guess the HBO Tales from the Crypt series adaptation of this story first, so I kind of knew what was happening, like, like oh, what was okay. coming, but man, I gotta say, <laughs> terrible planning of this murder. <laughs> oh, it's awful. It is a the really kid's in the house, it's right. Christmas, and you can't anticipate the uh, deranged Santa, you know. But white carpet, getting bought out of white carpet, come on. It's just, but I, I just really enjoyed the, the, it's just like, it was very stress inducing after the murder of just what's going on. It's just very like chaotic. Um, I just felt that it felt like something where I have to be somewhere in 10 minutes. I mean, it's obviously the stakes are a lot lower, but I have 30 minutes worth of stuff to do in 10 minutes. Um, even like finding your keys in that situation is so hard. So trying to cover up a murder and hide evidence and hide blood and keep your child away from seeing their father brutally murdered and then dealing with a Santa Claus escaped. Ah, just something about that thin Santa Claus beard too. It's it probably like the the English portrayal of Santa Claus, but it's just like, it, it shook me. It, uh... And the makeup on his face is effective too yeah, like he yeah. he looks like uh, he looked like he had gone down a few chimneys he was a good horror santa i i will give i will give them that in terms Full of, of facts. yeah um what one thing one slight knock on this segment it's just something from the time there's something about that thick looking off-color blood that kind of takes things out of it for me a little bit i don't know when the transition was made to more realistic looking blood, but it just doesn't have the right color. I don't know if you guys noticed that. It looks kind of thick. Yeah, it's and like British the movies, uh, like British, um, yeah, British movies and even Italian movies, I'd say from the era, it, it definitely has like a melted red crayon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Kind of look to it. So. Yeah. But no, I, I enjoyed it. I liked, I liked uh, how nerd, like you just felt that tension um i like i like something like this set in that christmas theme it's a nice um counter 
of you know this this nice warm tree and the presence and the loving i mean loving husband maybe that's how he's portrayed but you don't know the the background she's killing him for some reason <laughs> insurance i guess but uh something horrific happening in this setting with the child like just a do- a w- one closed door away there's something about that that's really intriguing so i did enjoy this this story a lot yeah, yeah. i love that it. it's very short but they set up like really uh really strong conflicts as far as like having the threat outside and not being able to call the police because it's a crime scene inside and having the kid upstairs. There's just, there's a lot to it for, you know, considering the runtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What did you think, Max? Well, I was going to say, and, 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 we, and I may have just missed this, but they don't really go into like her motivations um, other than there's, you know, whatever she got from the safe, which is like, yeah, I think it's an insurance policy. Um but, you know, again, it, all he's doing is just kind of reading the paper. Um, you know, again, spoiler alert. Um, but, you know, she just comes out of nowhere and then just, you know, cracks his skull open. Um, and it's not really explained. And then, yeah, like you're saying, like, it just kind of dives into this, like, this tension of, okay, well, now I've got to clean this up. Um, so I, I, I did. I, I, this, this one was a fun one. Yeah, and John, you mentioned the Tales of the Crypt series. That uh, that episode was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who did Back to the Future, and it was written by Fred Decker, who uh, directed Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps is going to be one of my picks for next week. Yeah, it all ties together somehow, even un- <laughs> unintentionally, because I was not aware of that. I think I knew about Zemeckis, but um, and I think when I watched that that episode, I was like, what? Zemeckis is doing this, mm-hmm. but you know, look at Black Christmas and A Christmas Story, same director. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. The range. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, do you all have anything else to say about this one? Not for the first one. No. Uh... All right. Cool. Well, moving on. All right. The next story is called Reflection of Death, and it's from the twenty-third issue of the Tales from the Crypt comic. And uh, what did you guys think of this one? Okay, so I had watched this film in its entirety maybe a year ago. And not a lot of it, for some reason, not a lot of it stuck with me. However, upon rewatch, I was really appreciating each story as it came. I, I think my issue was that I did not letterbox rate it the first time for whatever reason. And so I kind of lost what I may have initially thought about it, but this was honestly my favorite segment um, of the is there four or five, five, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something about the car crash, it's so fast and just violent um, and quick. It's just, it feels, it's just, it's pretty terrifying. Um, a lot of times these anthologies, like they don't get too scary. Even if you watch at night in the dark and you're, you know, low tolerance of fear. But th- that that was scary to me. There's something about the way that shot. Um, maybe the spinning is a little corny. But um, then once the accident happens and we have this first person perspective of trying to get help and everyone being just like having these horrified responses to 
um, the first person perspective. That was really interesting to me. I really enjoyed that. Um, it had kind of a, a Christmas Carol, Christmas past feel to it with just like looking in these windows and like things have changed, but you're not sure why. Mm. Um, uh, but it's just, and then going through that first person sequence and then waking up in the car again and realizing that's what the dream was when he first wakes up and screams and then going through the accident again. I just loved how that was shot. I loved that chronology of going like going back to the car again i just i thought that was really effective um this is definitely my favorite of the five um it's just i thought it was really well done and uh just pretty scary to be honest to me at least yeah i really love the extended pov shot I, i think is is pretty awesome and the reveal like when he finally sees his reflection um i i, I love the makeup it, it's it's really cool it's pretty ghastly yeah yeah i like the two it's kind of these things i'm getting a lot of surprises where you know sometimes you, you see a lot of horror films you kind of know what to expect but the reveal wasn't you know i didn't know i didn't see that look like it wasn't mm-hmm. predictable to me I, I liked how it came out yeah yeah no. yeah i think here also the uh the the main character He's kind of a he's slightly more complex than the other characters. Like when he says goodbye to his kid, I mean his sadness is is really authentic. Like I think he he gives a pretty good performance in this. Mm-hmm. Whereas no one else has any redeemable. Everyone else who is in the crypt, like seeing their the vision of how they'll die, um, no one else is, has any really redeeming qualities. Mm-hmm. That's that, true. That's the point. Yeah, that goodbye to his kid that was pretty yeah it was like goodbye forever it was yeah, yeah I, I resonated for sure yeah i mm-hmm. had that note note too that's something yeah i'll have to I, I mean again that's you know difference like a first time watch and a rewatch is like i that was just lost on me um but now like kind of hearing it you're like yeah it does add more to that story um oh, and i guess i should say this was a rewatch for me like the first movie that we reviewed tales of terror that was a first time watch and then this is the rewatch yeah, these were yeah, def- they were both first time for me. But um, I mean, again, that's just the fun of it is is kind of diving into it and hearing you know what what might what you might have missed and um, this you know this story. I'll just jump into it real quick. Um, it was the opposite. It was the weakest of the five for me. Um, and I, again, it might might just be like this the the runtime and and the kind of like the simplicity, if you will, of the story. Um, I, you know, I will say that, that, yeah, the jump scare at the end, uh, of, of, with the reveal was, was, was solid. Um, again, there's just, like, yeah, like, I think like John, what you just said, like sometimes like, these effects kind of catch you by surprise. I'm like, wow, that actually looks pretty good for, um, what was this? 1972. Um, I think again, you kind of get jaded living in the era of like modern horror, um, and what they're able to do with their effects, and you know, but every so often you, you you get you get spooked. So I like this one a lot. All right, cool. Uh, anything else to say about uh, about this story? <clears throat> uh, no. Mm-mm. Nope. All right, cool. So moving on to the third story called Poetic Justice, and this is from the twelfth issue of The Haunt of Fear. Uh, what did you guys think of this one? This is a heartbreaker, maybe because. I see a bit of myself in 
old Grimsdyke. That could be me with a kennel full of dogs, uh, making toys for kids. <laughs> yeah. I'm, my wife's dead. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice, but it's coming off wrong to some neighbor. Oh man, it's just, I think it hit a little bit too close to home. Until you have uh, someone that wants to buy your house, then that's when you have to worry. <laughs> I think of all, even more than Joan Collins, this 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 character that kills Grimsdyke is the least likable by far. It's just like oh, easily the mm-hmm. motivations. It's just pure evil, mm-hmm. and it's just like it's not quick. It's just they drive this man to spoilers here you know to hang himself mm-hmm. just the valentines are so cruel yes yeah. old man they take his dogs away oh man i mean it was clever the uh, trick with the neighbor's garden but mm-hmm. yeah this, this, what a despicable what a, that guy deserves whatever he gets uh in the afterlife because <clears throat> it's just you know such such a meaningless motivation and such a vindictive way to go about it. Just even like when he's talking about Grimsdyke to his father, I guess that is, um, mm-hmm. in, in their parlor or whatever, it's like, look at him. He re- he rebuilds rubbish toys and gives them to children. <laughs> like it's a bad thing. Like right. it's this horrifying thing. Um, they really sell, I mean, he's just, there's no, I've, it's hard to find a, a character with less redeeming qualities than, than this guy. Would you uh, I don't, and that Grimsdyke is a young Peter Cushing, um, which is interesting. Uh, Although we should we should note that Peter Cushing was never young. <laughs> he, he looks the same age, no 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 matter what year. <laughs> a young a young in uh, in numbers, yeah, but maybe not appearance. You'd 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 be surprised. How old was he in this? I guess. Well, no, he he would have been forty nine. Or no. Yeah, because this was just a. Uh... This is only five years before Star Wars, right? No, 57. Oh, yeah, you're right. Never mind. I take it back. <laughs> he's not so young. He was almost 60. He yeah, has now, that. he's amazing in this. Uh, anyone who's seen Peter Cushing in other movies, uh, he's never played a character like this before. Um, I mean, he's, you know, he's Van Helsing, like in the Hammer Dracula movies and uh, in Star Wars. What is he? Governor Tarkin? Is that his name? Mo Moff Tarkin. Moff Tarkin. Okay, yeah, he's the one. Yeah, Princess Leia, Leia recognizes his foul stench when she comes on board, right? Yeah, but he is. Uh, I, I I loved him in this. This might be my favorite, actually, in the movie. I I think the buildup is great. I think it. Um, Cushing is so sympathetic mm-hmm. in it, and when he finally gets. His revenge, of course, you know, he um, he's driven to commit suicide and then he comes back on Valentine's Day a year later. I love his zombie makeup. It's pretty similar to the makeup in the second story, but um, I think it's 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 really effective. And then when you see his version of a Valentine's note written in the son's blood Mm -hmm. and then the heart instead of using the word heart. I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that's a plus for me. That that closed. That was really, really. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was the this was the number two story for me. So pretty pretty high up there. No, number two for me it? as well. What, Very, what was like, number one? So sympathetic not... towards Grimsdale. Haven't gotten number one yet. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it just it got me. Yeah, 
Yeah, I yeah, I, I love this one. It was definitely my favorite. And it's the only instance, and this speaks into the the son, the main character kind of being the least likable. Even when they cut back to the crypt, the character says that he he tells the crypt keeper that he hated Grimsdyke. So even like when he's receiving the vision in the crypt, he he still is unlikable. Like he doesn't have a force or anything. <laughs> no, he's got he's no, he's just the worst. Yeah. Uh, anything else about this one? Nope. 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 All right. So moving on to the fourth story, which is um, called "Wish You Were Here," and that's from uh, issue twenty-two of "The Haunt of Fear." And this is a variation on W.W. Jacobs' story, "The Monkey's Paw," and it's a pretty well-known horror story, and it's been adapted so many times for radio and for and on the stage and and there's feature-length versions of it and it was adapted for the alfred hitchcock hour as well <clears throat> um what, what did you guys think of this one? First thought people never learn the consequences of having three wishes <laughs> <laughs> they even you know they make their first mistake and then they realize you know Something bad's going on here. Oh, let me let me make up for it with my second wish. And then when that one doesn't turn out, they still have faith in that final wish making things better. And it never does. Um, I There's something, you know, it has been done so many times. This is probably my least favorite of the five. Mine uh, as well. It's just, it just feels weaker. It's just, I don't know, there's just not a lot to, I, like, there wasn't even, like, a lot for me to note on this one. It's just kind of that same old, you know, they're going to twist the wishes in a way to where it's what you're saying, but the worst possible version of that. Um, I mean, there is something to that whole, the initial first wish where you're like, I'm wishing for money and the way you get it is such a dark way. Um, I can appreciate that. Like, that's, you know, a clever twist. But then, you know, it kind of, it's, I think it's just the most predictable of the five as well. So, I don't think I don't think the performances are bad necessarily, but not also not particularly memorable. There's just not that much that really I wanted to talk about with this segment. It's just it's just kind of there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I do, it's definitely the yeah. weakest for me too. Mm. I, I I like the end. I will say of after the third wish and and realizing that you know he's now alive after being embalmed. And then, you know, being tormented by, you know, having to suffer through this embalming fluid and then having her go to town on him and just hack him to pieces and then him still not die. Um, but now he's in pieces. Uh, that that was pretty interesting to me, um, how they filmed that. And it looked like just like, you know, grocery store, like organs. Yeah. <laughs> um, that they just threw into a into a coffin, um, which was, you know, again, uh part of the time but uh yeah pretty pretty low as well on the uh on the rating for overall it's so interesting to me what is used in practical effects to get certain things looking the way they are it's always seems to be some kind of household food item or a combination of things that that i always find interesting exactly what was used Especially stuff where you can't really tell where it's like, you know, guts or something. A lot of the 80s practical effects are interesting, like how they got the effects, what 
specifically was used. Um, and I will give you like the end of that of the third wish I did. That was one of the better parts of this story as well. Um, that yeah, it's just uh, I think I was just so sour on it as a whole that I kind of it kind of dragged me down. But that doesn't mean that the film it didn't take away from the film as a whole for me. It's just I feel like almost any anthology series they're not all going to be super high notes. Mm-hmm. It's just inevitably. And I'm sure, I'm sure to maybe some people, I'm not sure who, this might be their favorite segment of the, there's always, it's always someone's favorite, but yeah, it's really hard to have that top level consistency throughout every story in an anthology series like this. There always seems to be like somewhat of a dud in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this one is less effective because in the other stories you see like the people who, um, are like getting having the vision of their death you see them do something evil or selfish and and in this one you don't you just hear the person say that he's done some bad things and i think that's one reason why it's less effective i think seeing them do something and then you know and then them having like almost like a final destination type death Mm -hmm. i think is a little more compelling no, you're right. I think when I first watched this a year ago, I had that thought. I was like, kind of, do all these people deserve to be where they are now in that wraparound story? And this was the one that seemed the least deserving, for sure. Yeah, I, I get mm-hmm. that. There's less, there's less, you know, ha, this is why you're going through this. It's kind of like you were unlucky in how you phrased something or maybe a little greedy, but did you deserve this? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at least not not the way we, we weren't shown enough of that of the reasons why it was just kind of glanced by it just mm-hmm. wasn't the, the, it wasn't the depth it was just too peripheral overall all right well, i think that's all i've got for for that one do you guys have anything else to add just be mm-hmm. careful if you ever have this, any kind of wish scenario please resist <laughs> <laughs> Even the subtle stuff, you know, you never know what what what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Like I so, wish for pizza, you know, and and I don't want to find out how that goes poorly. The, <laughs> people, the people that have the power to grant these wishes are too powerful for you to mess with. They're gonna they, they need to be entertained. They've probably been locked in some kind of device or lamp or whatever for who knows how long, and they're so ready to play jokes. They are just pranksters. They're it could ruthless. be the fifth dimensional beings from Interstellar, you know, <laughs> bored in the Tetheract. I can't believe we went 85, 89 minutes without an Interstellar reference. So, but you got it in there. I, we got, I we, yeah, that. we'll sneak it in. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll come up a lot. Oh, well, Max, you, you'll reference it every week, right? That's the plan. If things go well, you know, that's that's that that is that is the goal. First Interstellar reference will be in the show notes each week. <laughs> <laughs> little easter egg (laughs) all right well now we're on to the final story in this anthology and this story is called uh blind alleys and it's it's based on issue 46 of the tales from the crypt comic and uh what did you guys think of this one this one's pretty fun um i don't know if it's necessarily comedic i just like when uh I like when some people are being treated badly and they kind of band together. And in this case, they have, you know, one sensory a disadvantage, but it does not 
it does not stop them. Uh, they work really well together. Um, the subject of their revenge is definitely deserving. And I don't, I, I try not to give too many spoilers, but um, these are old movies. I like, I like the way they execute their uh, revenge strategy. It's very um, patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a lot of work, but I think there's a good payoff. Um, with that razor blade wall, I don't know. I, uh, maybe it. You kind of think to yourself as you're watching it. Oh yeah, I can get through there without getting cut too badly. But maybe you couldn't. Maybe it's it's just something where it looks easier than it is, and in that if it's a tight space, it's rough. But yeah, mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, that that this guy is probably another one of the. A lot of times you can root for the bad guys, but not that much in the, in these in these segments. Um, I was rooting for the for the old guys in this one to get their revenge. I was worried about the dog. I'm always worried about dogs in horror films because it's usually bad news for them. But it wasn't yeah. quite it wasn't quite what I thought would happen with the dog. So he got his meal eventually. He so did. It all he worked did. out. I also enjoyed something about um, like the dog. And him being in like these cells next to each other, but not in the same. And you kind mm-hmm. of hear the, hear the dog barking, and I don't know. There's a lot of like built up. They really they really pay this guy back really well. I did enjoy it. I'd say it's probably in the middle of the road for me as far as ranking it of the segments, but I enjoyed it. I I thought the the leader of the um, of the old blind guys. He was good. I, I I liked his performance. I've seen him in something else. I'm pretty sure. Um, he has a very memorable face and just like that that wild hair. Um, yeah, I know he plays the doctor in Zulu. Have you seen Zulu? I don't think I have. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he's really something. good. He's really good. He's really good. Uh, the, oh, Patrick yeah. McGee. Yeah. 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 I liked him. Yeah, he was a he was a solid one. This this was the the this was the best of the five for me. Um, I think again, yeah, like for the themes you're talking about earlier of uh, you know how is this guy? This guy is awful. He's in a p- position of control and power. You know how is he going to get his come up as comeuppance? Um, and then seeing you know the lengths that they go to, you know, all while remembering that you know that these guys are all blind um, is is certainly uh, entertaining and impressive. And then, yeah, I agree that razor blade. Same thing of like oh, that's that's a, that's the, a huge gap in that in that wall. <laughs> razor blade. Yeah, like, like, all it's gonna take is like one little nick. Um, but I, I love the ending too when he um, yeah, just just turns the lights off. Yeah, you know, as he's running away from the dog, um, back through the razor blade wall. Um, I guess that is a more of a spoiler, but again, they're old movies. Yeah, um, but that was just so effective. You're not not having to see. Um, you know what happens afterwards. You, you just understand, like this guy's, this guy's got it. You know they've gotten their revenge. Yeah, I like this one. This is probably my fourth. I'd, I'd rank this number four. Um, I, I do like this one. I like the performances. I, I'm actually not crazy about the, the period of time where they are constructing the alleys i almost wish that they had just made the dog and the 
superintendent. Is that, is that what it, is that what his title was? Uh, I think it was superintendent, something like that. The major. Um, mm-hmm. I almost wish they had made them just wait in silence. I think that that just would have been kind of created more suspense for me and more dread for what's going to happen as opposed to knowing they're kind of being they're kind of having a, a trap set for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, I think there's another something, some other story. It may be it may be one of these um, antholo- horror anthologies, maybe a TV show, where someone was trapped somewhere, and when they were released, there was just this wall, this wall maze wall where they were trapped in, kind of like a rat in a maze situation. But they didn't they didn't know what was going on at all. So there's something to be said for that. I would I would be interested to see it filmed that way, like you said, and then like whether that would be as effective. Maybe it would. I did like, I do like how this revenge, it kind of comes off in the way that a heist film does, where you've got a bunch of people working together and they have a common goal. I'm, I'm very, I really enjoy heist films, so I kind of got that vibe a little bit from this, and that may have been why I enjoyed it more than you, per se. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, I, I could see it working in, in the other way, in silence as well. And I, I do agree with Max a lot. I love they didn't have to show the, like the, the lights out at the end. I like sometimes when they don't give you too much. I think that restraint can sometimes make things way more effective. Kind of like not revealing a monster early on. Sometimes when you reveal early on, it kind of takes that it takes so much away in the suspense and build up and just the unknown factor to something. All right. Well, uh, anything else to say about the uh, the last story? Uh, that's it for me. That's it for me. All right, cool. Yeah, now, overall, I, I do think this is a, such a strong anthology. Like, I, I really enjoyed this movie. This was my second time watching it. Um, now, the ending where they go back to the to the crypt for the final time, and everyone thinks that they've just received a warning mm-hmm. of what's going to happen. And then uh, the, the twist is that I, I guess that they're already dead, and now they're going to hell, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. That's what I got from yeah. it, too. Yeah, there's no that, redemption period. Yeah, that it's it is a little bit of a strange twist. I, I would, I, I feel like it, you would, they would know that they were dead and that this wasn't just a, a vision. But I mean, that that's definitely a nitpick. But I mean, what do what do you guys think? Uh, I think it's yeah. Uh, it's definitely a, a weird thing that twist. I enjoy, like someone not like being dead but not knowing they're dead. I I like that dynamic i think it's every time i've seen it portrayed it's pretty interesting i don't know if it's completely believable in this case but i remember the first time i watched it i was surprised and mm-hmm. it, it took me um and then on rewatch you don't get that twist because you know it's coming but um, right just something that we both you know we, we also don't want to try out you know just like being an alcoholic <laughs> yes head, yes what the experience uh, is like um, could end could end poorly, but no, I, yeah, I, I guess I, I lean more towards not minding as much. I mean, I, I, again, because it, it, you, you're kind of getting into a whole like philosophical kind of um, spiritual conversation of like what happens afterward. Do you know that you die? Um, I thought it was effective in the movie of like like you were saying, Hunter. Like these people all have this like, oh, okay, I'm not going to do this thing, 
and then only to find out, oh, it's 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 too late. And you know, here you go. Here's your here's your doorway to the fiery pit of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, was was unexpected. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, what would you give for a star rating, John? Okay, so I don't know. For some reason, I thought I didn't like this film as much as I did the first time. But rewatching it, rewatching this kind of put the the first the Tales of Terror down a little bit for me compared to this. I don't usually watch two such similar, you know, because they're both anthologies back to back like this. Mm-hmm. But then when you when you compare them, I think this one's a little bit stronger. I'm gonna go. Are we doing um, in between? halves or are we doing you know is it 3.5 or 4 or can you do a 3.75 i think a 3.75 is fine mm-hmm. i'm gonna do a pretty strong 3.75 i think if that if the monkey's paw segment was a little bit better even just like where it was average i might have been able to get to a four but a really enjoyable 3.75 for me all right cool and max i went i went strong four um again just fun to watch uh loved where it went and yeah four for me yeah it's a four for me too i love the tone i think it uh maintains a sense of dread pretty much throughout and uh and i I like how how dark it is um i would say this is one of my favorite anthologies i i I really like this movie i'm going up to a four oh yeah your pressure it feels right it feels right. It feels right. Sometimes you just need a little bit of a nudge. And I thought about that car crash again and how scared I was. It gets a four for me. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right. All right. Well, that's bringing us to uh, to the end. John, do you want to talk about uh, your selections for next week? All right. Next week, my rewatch is going to be... It may have the best one line or quote of all time for me at least when it comes to horror, and that is, the good news is your dates are here. The bad news is they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and that is Night at the Creeps from 1986. I saw this film when I was way too young, and parts of it stuck with me, and then rewatching it as a, you know, a middle-aged man, I love it all the more. It's one of my all-time favorites in this genre, and it's a lot of fun. But also, you know, I wouldn't say terrifying but there's some frightening things to it that aren't super it's definitely some creepy stuff in there um it's gonna be i think it's gonna be a lot of fun and then my film that i have not seen i don't even know much about this but it keeps coming up for me it's called the hidden from 1987 uh, Mm um directed by jack shoulder um i got interested in this i've i've been seeing it on some hidden gem lists and i love kyle mclaughlin so it's had my interest for a long time it's never streaming on any services it's kind of a you have to rent it but it's one that i've just been thinking about watching for so long that i wanted to go for it i know hunter you've seen it and you liked it yeah i've seen it a couple times yeah it, it, it's a good one there's something to be said also i had some experience very rarely but just almost knowing nothing about a film going into it so you have no expectations for plot for i mean you know it's like gonna be you know in the horror suspense genre but other than that i really don't know anything about it so i'm looking forward to seeing what happens and uh knowing that you liked it makes it a little bit less daunting it's not probably won't be a total dud you know it could be for me but probably not 
No, I, I think you'll think it's a it's a fun one. It's a fun Bach, to watch. Lachlan's so solid. I, I just love watching him work. He's uh, what a he's guy. A, he's a treasure. On he and off really screen. is. He's he's one of the greats. He's just so fun to watch. Just helps to ease you into the unknown, you know, of, of a first time watch. Uh, Max, are you uh, how for the following week? How are your nineties? You still going nineties for your picks? We are are going 90s i think i've got most of those locked in but i'm still uh doing some weeding out so those will will be ready shortly all right i'm looking forward to that because uh i feel like my 90s horror is a little bit limited so i'm looking forward to seeing what you pick i i i hope to not disappoint so i know hunter probably will will have seen them but he is the, (laughs) the resident gorehound so yeah i like that we're going from like we went 60s and 70s today, 80s next week, and then 90s to cap it off. I think that's, you know, we're, get, we're covering our ground pretty well. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. All right, and John, do you want to um, let everyone know where they can uh, follow us on social media? Social media on Instagram, you can follow us at semi underscore cinematic. And on Facebook, it's just facebook.com slash semi cinematic. Uh, no dashes, no underscore. Um, those are our two right now, and that's uh, we'll probably have uh, at some point uh, previews of the next week, and then maybe some things to discuss, maybe some polls, and at some point we'd like to get listener picks for us to watch uh, stuff that you want us to see that maybe we haven't seen or you want us to talk about. Uh, that would be fun for us. We we love picking each week, but uh, we'd like to you know be forced into something every once in a while, whether it's good or bad and see what happens, you know? Yeah. That would, that would be awesome. Yeah. Movie fear factor, you know, what's it? Exactly. Yeah. Should we, no, I wouldn't promote personal social media just because, well, I guess you could, we, I I would say you can follow me on letterboxd. Yeah, definitely follow us on letterboxd. Uh, we love, Mm -hmm. we love it's, it's such a valuable tool just for everything and kind of, you can get discussions going there as well. I'm, uh, Alias Genius, all one word on Letterboxd. Yeah, and I'm Hunter T. Robinson, and it's all, there's no spaces in my name there. And I am Max Manuels, uh, no spaces as well. Get your Stanwick films in and talk to Max about them. He's ready, <laughs> I, he's ready to I talk forward to it. <laughs> I haven't had one this month. It's a little disappointing, so. It's time. not to me. Yeah, I'm glad I haven't heard about her as much this month. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll talk next week. See you all next week. See you guys.